Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In June of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court, the nation's most senior legal body, overturned a ruling that made abortion legal across the United States. Often referred to as Roe v. Wade, it was a landmark legal ruling in 1973. Now, 26 conservative states in the United States are either certain or considering to introduce new abortion restrictions or bans. As Canadians watched the news, many began to wonder what it meant for us north of the 49. Because not everyone knows the story of Henry Morgenthaler's long fight to change the abortion laws of Canada. He had no idea that when he first opened an abortion clinic in 1969, that he would spend time in prison, endure death threats to himself, his staff, and his patients. For 19 years, he persevered as he was attacked with garden shears, had his clinic firebombed, not once, but twice, and even had his medical license suspended. All this to challenge what he saw as an unjust law that placed burdensome restrictions on those seeking abortions. His efforts were not in vain. It took almost two decades, but eventually he changed Canadian history and left an impact on the country that is felt to this day. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. The story of Henry Morgenthaler begins in Poland, 120 kilometers to the southwest of Warsaw, where he was born on March 19, 1923, to Jewish parents. When he was 16, the Nazis invaded his country in 1939. Sadly, during the German occupation of Poland, his father was killed by the Gestapo, while Henry lived with his mother and younger brother in a ghetto with 164,000 others unable to leave. His sister and husband left their hometown for Warsaw before the war started, but eventually his sister wound up in the Warsaw Ghetto and took part in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising in 1943. The uprising was the largest single revolt by the Jewish people during World War II, and a total of 13,000 Jewish people were killed. Those who survived were sent to the Treblinka extermination camp, where it's estimated that between 700,000 and 900,000 Jewish people lost their lives. 
more Jews were murdered at Treblinka than at any other Nazi extermination camp apart from Auschwitz. Meanwhile, young Henry Morgenthaler was living in the ghetto in their hometown, and when it got raided by the Germans and the Jewish ghetto police, Henry, his mother, and his brother hid in a room concealed by a wardrobe. They spent two days before they were discovered on August 23, 1942. That's when they were sent to Auschwitz, and Henry and his brother never saw their mother again. The Morgenthaler boys were only in Auschwitz for three days because on August 27th, they were sent to another concentration camp where they remained. Then on April 29, 1945, the camp was liberated by the U.S. Army, and upon his release, Henry was a 22-year-old man that weighed only 71 pounds, and he had to spend time in a hospital in Bavaria to recover. A year later, in 1946, Henry's brother emigrated to the United States, and then a year later, Henry moved to Brussels, where he lived with family friends, the Rosenfarbs. Because they were not in Belgium legally, he and his fiancée, Shaba Rosenfarb, had to leave Belgium behind. In 1949, Henry and Shava married, and they left Europe in February 1950 on the SS Samaria, sailing to Canada. Rosenfarb left her own notable impact on Canada, becoming a major author in Yiddish literature. The couple settled in Montreal, and seven months after they arrived, their first child, Goldie, was born. Morgenthaler then received his medical degree in 1953, and became a Canadian citizen soon after. And while he started out as a general practitioner, he transitioned into family planning in the late 1950s. He was one of the first Canadian doctors to offer vasectomies and birth control pills to unmarried women. On October 17, 1967, he presented a brief on behalf of the Humanist Association of Canada to the House of Commons Health and Welfare Committee. The committee was investigating the issue of illegal abortion, and Morgenthaler said that women deserve the right to a safe abortion. We believe that any woman should have the right to ask for a termination of pregnancy within the first three months of pregnancy, uh, should make the responsible decision whether she wants this pregnancy to continue or not. We view uh, an unwanted pregnancy as an accidental pregnancy, and we believe that the medical profession should uh, be allowed to give help to those women who at the present time have to resort to illegal abortionists and who face the risk of death and injury in the process. What about circumstances when the father wants the pregnancy to continue to full termination? Well, uh, in most uh, good couples, uh, the, uh, the father and the mother will agree that, uh, about the decision, but in a, in a minority of cases where the father would want a woman to have a baby and she does not want it, we believe that it's the woman still who should have the final say in the matter. In 1968, he gave up his family practice and began to perform abortions in his clinic. But this was risky, because at the time abortions were illegal, except if the pregnancy threatened the life of the pregnant woman. Then came a massive amendment to the criminal code. On August 26, 1969, many things, including homosexuality and abortions, became legal. Well, more like decriminalized abortions. It's a common misconception that the amendment legalized all abortions because the legislation was still very restrictive. It legalized abortions, but only if performed in a hospital and only after approval of a therapeutic abortion committee within the hospital. Hospitals were under no obligation to have such a committee, and only 33% of hospitals actually did. And while abortion was technically legal, 
most women had little access to it. And this is when Henry's battle really began. Henry Morgenthaler opened an abortion clinic and applied for a status as a model abortion clinic. Essentially, what that means is he wanted to use it as a model for other abortion clinics to follow. He also proposed to federal and provincial governments that abortions could be done outside of hospitals, but this fell on deaf ears. Henry thought it would be better to provide a safe place for the procedure than wait for a committee decision. He also believed that children must be wanted and be loved, and only then would they learn not to hate. And as the 1970s dawned, Henry soon found himself a target. On June 1st, 1970, Montreal police raided his clinic and he was charged with performing illegal abortions. Now, this will get a bit complicated as we go forward because there's a lot of cases and a lot of acquittals, but I'll do my best. It took almost three years for his case to eventually go to trial, and as he waited, women's groups organized to support him and he continued to perform abortions. He said that by 1973, he had performed over 5,000 safe abortions outside of hospitals, and he charged a maximum of $200, but only accepted what a patient could pay, and in many cases, he performed the procedure at no cost. He criticized the hypocrisy of the government over abortions, because he said he provided abortions for mistresses of prominent people in provincial and federal government levels, some of whom publicly opposed abortions. His choice to perform abortions also had serious legal costs to him. From 1973 to 1975, Henry was put on trial three times for defying the abortion law. In the first trial, after hearing from women he had helped, the jury found him not guilty of violating Section 251 of the Criminal Code. However, in April 1974, the Quebec Court of Appeal, in an unprecedented action, quashed the jury finding and ordered Henry imprisoned. That forced him to appeal his conviction to the Supreme Court of Canada, and in a 6-3 decision, they upheld his conviction, stating the danger to women was not immediate. Henry was then sentenced to 18 months in prison, and he began to serve his sentence in March 1975. Now, while Henry was in prison, the Ministry of Justice for Quebec laid a second set of charges against him, and once again, he was acquitted by a jury. But that didn't stop the Ministry of Justice from appealing his acquittal, the difference this time is that the Court of Appeal upheld the decision. So, this meant the Quebec government set aside their first conviction and ordered a new trial on the original charge. In total, Henry served 10 months in prison, and while sitting in prison in solitary confinement, he suffered a heart attack and had to be released to hospital. So the decision by the Supreme Court led Parliament to pass a criminal code amendment in 1976 that took away the appellant judge's power to strike down acquittals and order imprisonments. This meant the appeals court could not overturn a jury acquittal, although they could order a new trial. This would eventually become known as the Morgan Toller Amendment in the Criminal Code, and the man leading the change was Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, who knew Henry since the 1960s through the Humanist Fellowship of Montreal. Now, Federal Justice Minister Ron Basford quashed the first conviction against Morgenthaler and ordered a new trial because of that amendment. So, Morgenthaler was then released while awaiting another trial on that first charge. And on September 18, 1976, after deliberating only one hour, the jury acquitted Morgenthaler once again. So, as you can see, it's a bit complicated. Essentially, there were three trials for the first charge. 
They just kept trying to charge him over and over and over for the same crime. In an article in McLean's magazine, Henry said that the experience in prison had not broken him, but it had wounded him. And from it, he was recovering slowly. And he knew that if he died at that point, he would die knowing his life had been worthwhile and he had helped people. For as hard as Henry fought, he wasn't without his critics. They often portrayed him as a man against religion, but Henry stated he respected those who were religious and as a result, against abortions. What he didn't like was a minority of people imposing their idea of morality on the entire population. In 1976, the Disciplinary Committee of the Professional Corporation of Physicians of Quebec suspended his medical license. They labeled his behavior mercenary and his abortions he provided as illegal. But then the Parti Québécois came into power that year in the election, and they dropped all remaining charges against him. The party also stated there would be no further trials for clinic abortions in the province. And this marked a seismic shift as the Attorney General of Quebec then announced that abortions performed by doctors in freestanding clinics were legal in the province. But that didn't mean Henry's battle was over. Henry Morgenthaler now set his sights on the country's abortion law, and he began to expand into other provinces. At the time, in an odd reversal of what we see now, in 1981, 2,651 Canadians went to the United States to receive legal abortions. And as his fight for abortion services to Canadian women became bigger, it brought on a lot of unwanted attention from anti-abortion supporters. In the 1980s, one reporter noted that the stack of death threats against him for a single month was six inches thick. And at one point in 1983, a man attacked him with garden shears, but Judy Rebick, another abortion advocate, blocked the attack and he was unharmed. A man living just around the corner no, said he had only meant to frighten, not hurt Dr. Police arrived and searched a house. The man was charged with assault and possession of dangerous weapon. Dr. Morgenthaler was shaken and angry. This is what we're up against. Uh, fanatics, religious zealots. This is one crazy who was probably inflamed by uh, anti-choice propaganda. And it's unfortunate that uh, this happened and creates a diversion from what the real issue is, which is the right to choose for women. In July of that same year, protesters firebombed his clinic, causing minor damage to the clinic, but $75,000 worth of damages to the bookstore next to it. And at the time, Henry Morgenthaler said, They insult me, and they call me names, and occasionally I'm the subject of hate mail. You get used to it. It's a fact of life. In the 1980s, Morgenthaler, Leslie Frank Smoling, and Robert Scott set up an abortion clinic in Toronto. This was done to bring public attention to their cause and to provide abortion access to women who had not received certification from the Therapeutic Abortion Committee. By this point, 72% of Canadians actually favoured abortion clinics and abortion on demand. And at the same time, the number of hospitals providing abortions declined by 10% between 1981 and 1982 alone. On July 5, 1983, police raided the clinic only one month after Winnipeg police raided another one of his clinics in Manitoba. Henry had actually opened the clinic in Manitoba, hoping that the NDP government in the province would be more tolerant. That belief was swiftly dashed when eight staff members were arrested and 15 women who used the clinic were investigated. 
Meanwhile, the Toronto Clinic did not reopen until November 1984 when a Toronto jury acquitted all three doctors. The jury took only half an hour to reach the acquittal. For Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, the verdict was vindication. I was very confident from the start that the jury, as I said it during my testimony, will understand that it is not a criminal act to help people. The jury took just a half hour this morning to reach a verdict. They found Morgenthaler and his two colleagues not guilty on charges of conspiracy to procure an abortion. The judge then turned to Morgenthaler and said, I guess I'll have to excuse you. Get going. Morgenthaler said it was a victory for Canadian women. The message is clear to everybody that women should be treated as responsible human beings capable of making decisions for themselves and that they deserve and indeed get decent medical care. And there are doctors here who are willing and across Canada who are willing to provide that medical care. This was the fourth acquittal in a decade for Morgenthaler. But Morgenthaler was unable to attend the reopening due to threats against his life. And while Ontario pursued criminal charges against him, Henry returned to the sanctuary of Quebec because although they jailed him in the 1970s, it had now become, in his words, an oasis of sanity where he could operate his Montreal clinic without issue. Meanwhile, in October 1985, the Ontario Court of Appeal upheld a crown appeal of the acquittal, and Henry was once again ordered to stand trial. A year later, he took the case to the Supreme Court of Canada, calling the appeal ruling an abuse of power. In a press conference, he asked how the government could order a trial repeatedly for the same offence. Henry Morgenthaler argued that Section 251 of the Criminal Code, which required the committees, violated Section 7 of the new Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The Charter had only been created a few years earlier in 1982, when Canada repatriated the Constitution. On January 28, 1988, in a 5-2 vote, the Supreme Court ruled that Section 251 of the Criminal Code violated a woman's right to security of person under Section 7 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. As a result, Canada had no law concerning abortion. The procedure, therefore, is governed not by federal law, but by provincial and medical regulations. After two decades after the first fight began, Henry had finally won. And when the decision was announced, the Supreme Court was filled with RCMP officers patrolling the corridors and searching all spectators. A historic decision on abortion today, a judgment that will have a profound impact all across the country. The Supreme Court of Canada has ruled 5-2 to two that the country's abortion law is unconstitutional. That means the law has been wiped off the books and doctors can no longer be charged with performing illegal abortions. Today's decision stems from a case involving Dr. Henry Morgenthaler. Morgenthaler said today it was not only a personal victory, but a victory for all women in Canada. But anti-abortionists were outraged. When do we have When do we have it now? Hundreds of people crowded the street in front of Henry Morgenthaler's abortion clinic in Toronto tonight to celebrate the striking down of the abortion law. I wish to repeat our slogan, which says child, they want a child, every mother, a willing mother. This morning's Supreme Court decision was a victory for Morgenthaler, who has fought the abortion law for more than 18 years. Bravo for the Supreme Court of Canada, bravo for the women of Canada. But for groups opposed to abortion, today 
decision was devastating. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the law says. I'm going to defend those people as long as I have a breath of uh, left in me. And Did there's millions in Canada that are going to do the same thing. Chief Justice Brian Dixon, with Justice Antonio Lamer, found that Section 251 forced a woman to carry a fetus irrespective of her own priorities and aspirations, which was an infringement on her security of person. He also found there was a violation in the requirement for a mandatory certification procedure, which put the woman at higher risk of physical harm. Justice Jean Beetz and Justice Willard Etsy found that the abortion law was invalid, stating there was a violation of Section 7 since the requirement of Section 251 was manifestly unfair. And Justice Bertha Wilson concurred, stating that Section 251 violated a woman's personal autonomy because it prevented her from making decisions affecting her and her fetus's life. But Justice William McIntyre and Justice Gerard LaForest dissented in the decision, stating there was no right to an abortion under Section 7, nor any other laws. Since the ruling, the case has become defined in broad strokes. The ruling, in fact, does not provide a constitutional right to abortion, nor freedom of choice. What it did was change Canadian abortion laws forever, but it didn't guarantee abortions. In the spring of 1988, the Progressive Conservative government of Prime Minister Brian Mulroney put forward its first attempt to pass an abortion law. This was an outline of legislation to recriminalize abortion, but it was defeated by a resounding 147 to 76 free vote in the House of Commons. Then, in late 1989, Bill C-43 was introduced in another attempt to establish a new abortion law. This law would sentence a doctor to two years in prison for providing an abortion if a woman's health was not at risk. And the bill actually passed the House of Commons, but on third reading in the Senate on January 31, 1991, it failed in a tie vote. Declassified cabinet meeting minutes from this time show that several cabinet ministers, including Health Minister Jake Epp, wanted severe sentences of up to 10 years for doctors who provided the service. As of the recording of this episode, Parliament has not acted to replace the existing abortion law, and Canada is one of the few countries to have no laws governing abortion. As for Henry Morgenthaler, the man who fought to make abortion laws less restrictive and make the process safer for women across the country, he's been honoured extensively. In 1989, thanks to a Supreme Court victory, he received the highest honour from the Planned Parenthood Federation. In 2005, he received an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from the University of Western Ontario. And while it was almost two decades after the Supreme Court ruling, the university received a petition with 12,000 signatures asking the university to reverse its decision. But the university also received a petition with over 10,000 signatures asking it not to reverse the decision. On May 28, 2008, the Canadian Labour Congress presented him with its highest honour, the Award for Outstanding Service to Humanity. And one month later, on July 1st, Henry Morgenthaler received Canada's highest honour, the Order of Canada. Once again, opinion was divided on the matter. Then Prime Minister Stephen Harper said he would have preferred the award be given to someone who unified the country, while Liberal leader Stéphane Dion asked Canadians to respect and celebrate the decision. Three members of the Order of Canada, including the Archbishop of Montreal, left the Order in protest. Throughout his life, Henry Morgenthaler established over 20 clinics and trained over 100 doctors in the country before he passed away on May 29, 2013. Now that's the end of the story of Henry Morgenthaler, an abortion in Canada. 
But there's one more important fact that you need to know. Although Henry was able to strike down abortion laws that limited the access of the procedure in 1988, this means that Canada has no law governing abortion. And as I said before, the procedure is governed not by federal law, but by provincial and medical regulations. And even though abortion has been decriminalized, it is not equally available to all women across the country. More than 20 years later, abortion services are particularly difficult to access in rural locations, the far north, and in much of the Maritimes. Because what most people don't know is abortions are not performed in Prince Edward Island, and access to abortion services is heavily restricted in New Brunswick. Thank you for joining me on Canadian History X. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Wikipedia, Vancouver Sun, Montreal Gazette, Edmonton Journal, Winnipeg Tribune, CBC, and the National Abortion Federation. The show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnston. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.